0: We're going to continue in this series we've been in on spiritual warfare and deliverance. This is our next to last message, I believe. So, um, yeah, we're in the 400 section. We're talking about strategies for ministering to people. I talked about last week kind of the etiquette of when you're ministering to someone and then also uh, the importance once you, you know, doing an interview, hearing confession, the importance of listening and how that's a loving act that literally brings healing to people. Um, talked about repenting and renouncing and how important that is and how powerful your words are. And um, yeah, so that was a really great message. You can go back and check that out. Um, Tonight, I want to talk about inner healing. And then we're going to kind of do a little exercise at the end uh, to kind of a little demonstration of that, Lord willing. Um, When I say inner healing, it's Inner healing and deliverance are very related. Deliverance is really getting the devil to leave, (laughs) delivering someone from a stronghold or a demonic presence or an oppression in their life. Um, Inner healing, I wrote this down, using truth and inviting Holy Spirit to heal deep-seated wounds, potentially memories or experiences that people have had, So that you can do deliverance or to help with deliverance or sometimes inner healing is all that's needed. Um, When we do prayer sessions with people at our church, um, what I talked about last week is kind of the foundation. It's the bread and butter. It's the main focus, the repenting and renouncing. What I have found at times is there are certain people who cannot get to that point because they're so wounded. And when that is the case, you need to tend to the wound first before you can do deliverance on someone. There can and often is demonic presences or oppressions or strongholds dealing with those wounds or associated with those wounds or in those wounds. Um, But if you just go trying to renounce the devil and you haven't brought healing to the wound there's usually very powerful agreements within that wound. The person is unable to agree with the truth because of the hurt and the pain. And that's what's allowing that oppression to continue. And so the Lord wants us to bring healing to those places first, and then the person is able to agree with the truth and then bring deliverance to them. So I'm going to talk through our parts, our inward parts, <laughs> to talk about how this works and how the pieces fit together. And I'm I'm just going to pray right now. I forgot to do this over this time. Um, Lord, I do pray that you would uh, bind any demonic spirit from interfering with our time as we talk. I believe some people are going to, God's going to bring some deep inner healing to some people tonight. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I just bind any demonic spirits from manifesting or interfering with our time. Silence our flesh and every other voice. Help us to hear your voice. And open up our hearts to you, Holy Spirit, in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So, after David commits adultery with Bathsheba, he writes Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, verse 6, this is the NIV 1984 version, which was the year I was born, which is the best version, but it's not in print anymore. So... It's not the best version. It's just what I have memorized a lot from being a kid. But it says, you desire truth in the inmost parts. That's what David said. You, God, desire truth in the inmost parts. The KJV the uh, version says, in the inward parts. The Amplified Bible says, in my in the innermost being. God desires truth in our inmost Parts. How many of you know that you have different parts? Now, we know the outward ones. Hands, feet, livers, kidneys, right? Uh, Those aren't outward, sorry. Mixing things up there. But the physical parts, I should say. We know those. We study those. Did you know you have inward parts that are spiritual? I'll use this word, metaphysical. Um, I think what we need to understand as Christians, when we, uh, the way I grew up, when we say spiritual, our, my, the way that I was raised and brought up, you think metaphor, right? Spiritual <laughs> is metaphysical. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google metaphysical later, not right now while I'm talking. Spiritual is metaphysical, it's real, it's literal. So when I'm talking, Spiritual things, when I'm talking thoughts, emotions, spirit, soul, heart, being, these are literal, real things, but they're not physical, tangible, they're metaphysical, they're supernatural, okay? So, you desire truth in the inmost parts. How could David, a man of God, while he is a man of God, commit one of the worst sins a person could commit? justify it to himself, and then commit an even worse sin. How could he do that? Being a man of God, knowing the truth, knowing that's wrong. You know why? Because he knew it up here. But that truth was not deep down in his inmost parts. Probably because David had... I can't go into this. This is not this sermon. David probably had a father wound, okay? Okay. And that's probably why. And he's getting affection from a woman instead of the Lord. Okay, all right. And go read his story and tell me I'm wrong. Um, I, when I retire from ministry, I want to be that guy that has the white cardboard thing. And it's like, David had a father wound. Prove me wrong. And I just sit back and you come and we debate. That's like my retirement. <laughs> On an island somewhere. Right. Fiji, maybe. All right. So for you to understand this, I, I'm sorry, I got to get moving. I got to move faster. Um, the need and validity of inner healing. I need to explain the parts. OK, we are spirit, soul and body. Right. But it's even more. There's more parts than that. Um, the Bible says uh, there's four inner parts of our inner life. It says we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. And strength there, that's not just physical exertion, although that's the outward manifestation. It's it's your will. You have a will. Your will is your inner strength, inner strength to desire and to man, I don't want to do this, but I'm gonna do it, you know. You have a will. So you might hear me pray, Lord, like, oh Lord, bring healing to their heart, soul, mind, will, body, and emotions. It's like, I've prayed that so much. These, I'm speaking to each of the parts. Okay? So heart in Hebrew is, the word in Hebrew means the deepest part of you that makes you you. And listen, this is the very, very important part. It is the seat or the foundation of all your emotions. So emotions get a bad name in modern church a lot. We don't respect them as much as we should. Or learn them and learn how to interact, and they're a language of your heart. Emotions are a language they're part of they're part of you. they're not just chemicals running through your body. okay? When things happen to you, it affects your heart, and that causes brain things, and that causes chemicals to go through your body, and it all happens like this, okay, so. Your heart is the seat of all your emotions, but it's your, that's your inmost being. Out of your heart, guard your heart, Proverbs says, because everything you do flows out of it. All the issues of your life come out of it. Where do, the thought, where do your conscious thoughts come from? Your heart. That's what Scripture says. Out of your heart come evil desires, Jesus said. So, the heart then is the seat of emotions. It is sub it's feeling, it's subconscious, it's deeper than conscious mind. Okay. Then you have your soul and your mind. And and I'm gonna those are very, very similar words uh, and have similar functions. It's talking about your your mind, okay? Your thoughts. Okay. And then I mentioned the will as well, the inner strength or uh, desire, okay? So God gave me a revelation on this um, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's the verse we focus on so much in church for salvation, which is awesome. Next verse, though, listen to this. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth you profess and you're saved. It is with your heart that you believe. Heart is deeper than mind. It's subconscious. It's a feeling level. And that is the source of belief. Now go do a Bible study this week on how important just believing things is to God. What is the work of God? To believe Jesus. How do you get to heaven? Believe in Jesus. Do you understand? It happens at a heart level subconscious. Okay, so uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf, I'm going to mention some of her work. She's a Christian neuroscientist who's many, many years ago, 30, 40 years ago, it was thought our brains were non-changing, static. So if you get a brain injury, you're done. Like you're never going to be healed because your brain can't do that. That's what they used to think. She began work with traumatic brain injury patients, TBIs severe, like couldn't talk, couldn't function, and what her work was, was she had a theory, and she's done this, and now it's many others were doing this at the same time, so it wasn't just her, but it's commonly accepted now, this is scientific truth, what I'm about to say, your mind and your brain are not the same thing, and she started speaking to these TBI patients who could hear and understand, and was coaching them to use their thoughts their mind to try to say certain words or to just have focused thinking times every day. And using their mind, she began to bring healing to their brains. And then many of them, their brains would get better and better. And then many of them ended up fully healed. So mind, he brings healing to the brain, which then brings healing to the body and functionality, restoration of functionality to the body. And so she has books. You can go read them. I highly recommend her. She's a Christian, just spirit-filled Christian, just an amazing person, right? Now, think about what I just said, using the mind to heal the brain, to heal the body. And we're not even talking getting God involved yet. That's just how we're made. And that's the power of the human being that God has made. So um, one of her sayings that I really love is, thoughts are things, what she means by that is when you have a thought, and especially memories too, um, but thoughts as well. Thoughts and memories create physical structures in your brain. Physical structures. She said they look like tree, a tree with branches branching out, only at more of a microscopic level. But it, it, that happens in your brain. When you have a, a new memory or you have a, a thought over and over neuropathways things like that it literally creates physical structures in your brain and those physical structures store the actual memories and she's done a lot of research talking about what she calls toxic memories so people who go through trauma abuse um, of course there's you know through interviewing these people there's unforgiveness there defined by i hate the person like they're just saying like yes this is right People who don't go through counseling, people who have unhealed trauma, have these structures in their brains. She's done brain scans, and I'm summarizing a whole lot of information from her. But, um, And you can go watch her videos on YouTube and learn about this and read her books. Um, but people who have not healed from those traumatic experiences, when they scan the brain and they see these structures where these certain memories, because it's lighting up and all this... When they're not healed and there's not forgiveness and all that stuff, those parts are toxic, those structures are toxic, and they're causing – they cause stress, and they cause the brain to release chemicals in the body, stress chemicals that – because it's a lot, you know, it's not good for your body, right? And then it causes sickness and disease. Some of these people she's worked with or they work with and get them into counseling and all this stuff. They work through things. They bring healing to those traumas. They, they coach these people to forgive the abusers and just all the things. Then they do the brain scans, and guess what they find? Those parts are not lighting up anymore. Those structures are not traumatic. They're not, um, they're not toxic anymore. They're healed. They're not releasing all the bad stuff. People's bodies experience healing from this as well. Okay? She makes it one of her famous statements is she estimates that 70 at least 75% but as much as 90% of sickness and disease in our bodies including cancers are from negative thinking. Could just be negative thinking or it could as we all know most likely re, uh, as a result of negative experiences in our lives. We have more negative experiences you have that are traumatic, you have a lot more negative thinking, right? And all that negative thinking, releasing all those chemicals in your body, right? And your body's sick, right? So now think on a spiritual level. There's demons who can mess with your thinking and even oppress and cause thinking patterns. So when... Non-spiritual people say things like, well, depression is just a chemical imbalance in the brain. Oh, no, 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 no. That's the surface. That's the end of what you're, you're reading the end, but that's not the root. The root is really negative thinking. Usually spiritual warfare involved, demonic beings, oppression, so on and so forth, causes a whole lot of negative thinking. Then guess what? Your brain's releasing chemicals. Yeah, you have a chemical imbalance in the brain. But you give them the pills, and it helps the chemical imbalance, but it numbs them. it keeps them from going so low, but they don't get they don't have positive emotion, right that's what depression medicine does, but it doesn't fix the root issue, and if they come off the thing, I still want to kill myself, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so when we talk about deliverance and healing we're talking about healing the root thing so you don't need the medication. I'm not against medication, by the way, or surgery or whatever, but those things are AIDS and crutches. Medication is like you might need it for a time to help through a hard season. But we should not be relying on medications forever. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, So thoughts are things. Memories are stored as physical structures. Um, I talked through all that. Um, So I just want you to have an understanding of how your parts work together. (laughs) Okay? Your thoughts... These thoughts and memories get stored physically in your brain. You know, that affects your body. Many, many Caroline Leaf, from a scientific perspective, talks about how stress and and unforgiveness can cause sickness in the body. But you talk to some deliverance ministers who know nothing about the science. All they know is they've seen a lot of people, when they get healed of unforgiveness, get healed of things in their body. Um, Charles Kraft talks a lot in his book, Two Hours to Freedom, Um, Seeing a lot of people who, when they get injured, they don't heal well. And when he prays with them through things, finds out there's usually like a low self-worth. And what we talked about last week, self-rejection. And they deal with those things and get deliverance and freedom and healing from those things. Um, And then they pray over the body and they find that the body heals. Uh, Or their body just naturally heals better now. Because they got rid of the negativity about themselves. So, it's all related. So, there's a spiritual aspect. There's a you aspect. Your spirit, your body, your mind, your heart, your emotions. And there's the, uh, did I say spiritual? Which, where am I at here? Physical? I started with the devil, right? Yeah, the spiritual aspect, yes. You, and then like your emotions. And then like your body. So your body, your heart, your mind, and then the devil gets in there, right? It's all interconnected. It's all related, okay? So let's say, <laughs> oh, man, i got to trust my illustration that I wrote the other day. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm just going to go for it. Let's say someone hates you without cause because you're a Christian and stabs you with a knife. Okay, that would be bad. Um, was spiritual warfare involved? Probably. Probably a demonic presence tempting them. Especially if it's because you're a Christian, that it probably was involved. Um, but let's just say, let's say we know that somehow there was a demon messing with him, so we know that was involved. Um, but now you have a wound, don't you? <laughs> let's say they stabbed you right here, right in the chest. All right, you got a wound right in your chest. So that's a physical wound. But uh, ask anyone who's ever been like beat up and traumatized by a gang and stabbed, now you have trauma. you have the emotional mental wound as well. And man, let me tell you, that physical wound, they can stitch you up, in a few weeks, you're doing way better, and, and it's mostly healed, and a few more weeks you're totally healed, right? But you're still carrying the trauma. You're still terrified to go to the subway where that happened. You're still terrified to go to the, to the parking garage where that happened. Right? Why? You haven't worked through the mental and emotional wound. And so I do need to say this. This is later on in my notes, but I'm going to say it right now. When we say people have wounds, and we're talking emotional wounds, or well, that's a heart wound, that is a literal thing. It's real. It's not a metaphor that they just feel bad. Yes, they feel bad, but it's as real as if you got stabbed with a knife. Someone having a broken heart is real. You know, people can die of a broken heart. Did you know that? Like, their physical heart is fine, but something happened so traumatic. Scientists have have shown this. So traumatic. They're so broken over it. They just lay down and die. And so when we say that, oh, you were abused as a kid, you've got a wound. It's a literal wound. Now, your brain and your mind and your your heart, they have God's wired us in ways to, to deal with those things. Suppression of memories is a thing, right, uh, that is part of the way our brain is wired. It's, it's a grace of God. It's part of our hardware system to help us. But here's the deal. It, it's a coping mechanism. It's like suppress that. I'm going to move on. I'm going to compartmentalization disintegration into left and right-brained so that when I think about that, I, I think left brain so I don't go into the emotion because I can't because I won't be able to function if I do. These are things scientists have studied that this is what happens with trauma. But here's the deal. It's like it gets put in a box in your heart or in your mind or in your brain, whatever, all the above, and you move on with life. You cope. And what counselors and deliverance and inner healing ministers find until you get later in life and you have a lot of stress. (laughs) Specifically a lot of stress that touches on the same type of subjects as whatever your trauma was in. That's when people have nervous breakdowns. That's when people have panic attacks. And it could be good work stress overloaded. It could be just something similar happens to what happened to you, and you break down and can't handle it. So let's say you had a parent that just shamed you all the time. Like, you're you a piece of crap, Just, just always shaming you, shaming you, shaming you, shaming you. That's wounding. When you're a little kid, wound, 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 wound. You cope, you compartmentalize, you move on. Then you get into a work life. You're doing pretty good, but you get this one boss who starts shaming you. He starts treating you. He starts blaming you for things that aren't your fault. And you don't know why, but it sends you through the roof, and you can't handle it. And you either want to harm him or you want to quit. And other employees, he does this too, and they're just like, whatever, that's Bill. Who cares, right? Why is that affecting you so much? because you have a wound that's compartmentalized but when bill treats you like that it's poke it's poking that wound and if there's a demonic presence there which there a lot of times there is they know how to manipulate that and so um modern psychology or whatever calls it people getting triggered right and that's a good word. Um, Terry Wardle from Healing Care Ministries, he says, here's a good sign that you've got a wound somewhere. A two, He calls it a 2 to 10 emotional reaction. When something happens to you that most normal people would look around who's not involved in the situation go, that's like a level 2 out of 10. That's like a molehill. That's not that big of a deal. But when it happens to you, you have a level 10 reaction emotionally. You cannot handle it you flip out and maybe this starts happening in your adulthood once you get some pressure and stress in your life and then you find people getting into their late 30s 40s where these issues get more and more amplified and they can't figure it out and why does this keep happening the truth is you do have a wound that's unhealed and People poke it, and the devil pokes it, and uh, <clears throat> and God wants to heal it. So, our heart is below conscious level, and here's the next thing I want you to know. Experiences in our lives send messages at a heart level without words. Psalm 19 talks about, The heavens declare the glory of God. There's, you know, they don't use word words or speech, but they're they're preaching to the the whole world about the glory of God, right? Experiences in our lives, they send messages to your heart. And your heart receives experiences as messages. So if you have a doting father and he's always getting you gifts and playing with you, he may never even say, I love you, but all those experiences are sending messages to your heart. He loves me. I'm loved. Man, my dad loves me. So you feel really loved. Remember, feeling is part of your heart. Remember, feeling is part of belief. So if you're feeling really loved, what are you believing? I'm loved. So let's say your dad's absent or your dad's a jerk and there's a lot of harming events in your life. Those harming events are sending messages to your heart. If you treat someone like they're not valuable long enough. Let me say it this way. If you treat children (laughs) like they're not valuable, they will believe you. I was going to say if you treat people, but you're an adult, and if I treat you like not valuable, you'll probably get mad at me because you're like, I know who I am. I know my worth. I go to Free People Church, and they tell me my identity. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you better back off. But you won't do it with that attitude cuz I just repented of that and we are not going to do that anymore. You're going you're just going to know your worth. <laughs> just stumbled. Lord, help me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Where was I? But if people yeah, children don't know that yet. So when children are mistreated and treated unvaluable, especially not just once, but a lot, they believe it. And you ask any secular counselor what people who go through sexual abuse, physical abuse, suffer from. Shame. They feel like it's their fault. They are embar- They don't even want people to know what happened to them because it's embarrassing. Even if people feel sorry for you, it's like, oh, I don't want to think about it. Right, But they feel dirty, they feel unworthy, they feel like they're not loved. Why? Because if, if that child made in the image of God, if you valued it, valued them like they really were, more valuable than millions of dollars, than gold itself, than anything, you would never treat them like that. So when an, especially when an authority figure, a parent, Who's supposed to be loving them does that? Whew. Fathers bestow identity and belovedness on children. And then when they treat them and they abuse them, they mistreat them, it does the exact opposite. It bestows worthlessness. It, even when that child be. Why do so many Christians have a hard time feeling like God loves them? It's because of that stuff right there. Okay? Cuz we're living such a broken world and so many people, even good parents make mistakes or don't don't love as good as God. Whew. So experiences send messages at a heart level and um yeah. So because of that, the earlier a traumatic experience happens, the Listen to me. The earlier it happens in your life, the more your heart, that subconscious feeling part of you out of which you believe things, um, believes that those things are true. The earlier that things happen, the more you're going to believe it. But also, and this is where it gets tricky, the earlier things happen, the harder they are to remember And that's why we have so many broken people and in so many broken Christians who just can't feel like God loves them. You had some early, early wounds. You got over it, you know, you moved on with life. Maybe you got out of the situation. Maybe your parents shaped up and quit doing that to you. Whatever. You moved on. But those wounds were never healed, and you, your heart your heart believed the lie of the enemy and your heart's been believing that lie your whole life and you got saved and you believe the gospel but you really kind of view God like, I will send you to hell if you don't, cha- if you don't accept Jesus. So you accept Jesus. By the way, this is my story right now. <laughs> you get saved, right? But then you're just like, I hope I don't mess up so he sends me to hell, right? So I just gotta, it's like fear of God, stay out of dad's way, try to live a good, clean life. And that's how you think about God. You don't think God loves you, dotes over you. It's like, this is my son, he's beloved, and I'm well pleased with him. You don't believe that. You're like, stay out of his way. And then he calls you to ministry. (laughs) And you gotta work for him and try to stay out of his way at the same time. So good luck with that. No wonder I'm such a conflicted person. Right? (laughs) So, yeah. The earlier it happens, harder it is to remember most people have issues like this. Most people have stuff they need to heal from. And, man, I'm going to tell you this. There's people who get deliverance. They get the demonic presence to leave, and they still struggle. Because it's a belief thing. It's your heart. Your heart needs healed. This is why Holy Spirit's so important. You need experiences with God. You need them. You need them. You need them. We need truth, but we need experience. Go read the scriptures about, oh, the love of God that fills our hearts. You know? Oh, the inexpressible joy of the experience of Holy Spirit. That's what they were saying. Oh, the Spirit cries, Abba, Father in us. Why did they write this way? Because they had this Holy Spirit experience, connect, heart connection with the Lord. It's a heart connection. We commune with God through Holy Spirit. We feel his heart. We feel his personality towards us through Holy Spirit. Man, if we, if we circumcise Holy Spirit from the body, if we tell Christians that's not for today, just read your Bible, you're going to read the Bible through angry dad lens. And you're always going to feel like God doesn't love you, but oh well, suck it up buttercup, I want to go to heaven, just obey anyways. And we have a whole lot of Christians like that. One of, my, one of the first things that drew me to charismatic Belief was going to charismatic churches and seeing people that when they prayed and they just talked about Jesus. It was like me talking about my wife on my wedding day. They were just like, oh, the Lord. Oh, emotion, affection for the Lord. Because their hearts were alive because they had him in them and they were they knew it. They had experienced him. And when he tried to have that experience with them, they didn't shut it down and go, "Those are just my feelings. You know, feelings are evil. They can be, <laughs> but they can also be the Lord interacting with you." So let me. So, so the earlier things are the harder it is to remember, which makes it harder for us to figure out why we're struggling with things. <sighs> So, let me add another layer that makes it even more sobering from Charles Kraft's book called Two Hours of Freedom and he's quoting uh and the if you're interested in this tech or email me and I can send you the actual notes from his book on this at the end, you know the little notes section where it has all the citations <clears throat> so he says this many and he's speaking about researchers and scholars when he says many believe our brains start recording just about everything that happens to us by about six to eight weeks of gestation in the womb. Not outside the womb. So uh, he makes the case in his book and says it's been validated through his prolific ministry experience with hundreds of cases that most people he's ministered to have issues, who have issues with depression, self-rejection, or self-harm, or, uh, you know, suicidal ideations especially, were unwanted children. The vast majority of them. And the wound that's very real, as we've established, to their heart, which was being formed in the womb, started, for many of them, even pre-birth. By their parents rejecting them verbally, having conversations about, Are we going to keep this baby, adoption, abortion, or, yeah, we're going to keep it, but, oh, crap, we're pregnant. I don't want this child. I'm not ready to be a mom. And whatever mom's experiencing, baby's experiencing, okay? So I know if you're new to this stuff, again, what I'm saying, I'm not some spiritual guy who's just making stuff up because it sounds good spiritually, What I'm saying is science and many scientists are proving these things. Science and faith are not mutually exclusive. Science just explains and reveals how God made stuff to work. And so, and then guys, uh, spiritual people who are helping people with spiritual issues, um, find that this is the case. And so Charles Kraft talks about a certain way he leads people through prayer um, to help heal even pre-birth wounds in people. And sees a lot of them healed and depression and suicidal things totally gone because he prays through it a certain way with with addressing that level of wound in someone. So that's that's deep. (laughs) And that's as early as it gets. (laughs) Six to eight weeks. I wrote this in my notes. This was a revelation I had today as I was preparing for tonight. So when we say an orphan spirit, you're struggling with an orphan spirit, is that a demonic strategy or even a demon that's called orphan spirit? Possibly. Yeah, sure. If they know your wound is you were an unwanted child. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times when we name demons, oh, it's a demon of lust, it's a demon of this. we're really naming what their strategy is. It could be a demon of it's just a demon. <laughs> but it knows who you are and it knows your stuff, so it's using a strategy of self-rejection or whatever you've been through. They use what you've been through because it feels true. Because there's evidence. That they can point you to. See, people hate you. You should hate yourself. Right? They don't come at you with lies, with things you've never experienced. Because it won't work on you. So, an orphan spirit is not just demons are involved. But it's not just a demonic strategy, it's also describing how you have been conditioned to think and feel at a heart level, a mind level, due to literal spiritual emotional wounds you've received from parents, reinforced by other people growing up through the years. Which, by the way, if, you, if you're someone who's been traumatized a lot or under a lot of warfare, have you ever noticed? You've said this before. Why does this keep happening to me? Why do people keep betraying me? You know, I've got friends. Nobody betrays them. Spouses don't betray them. Their other friends don't betray them. I get betrayed all the time. Why is that? You know why? Because the demons know your wound. Or wounds even. And guess what? I do believe as C.S. Lewis. Theorizes in screw tape letters. That we get assigned certain. You guys got to go. Love you guys. Peace out. Give them some love guys. Thanks for hanging out guys. It's awesome. And hey listen. I want you guys to hear me. I would rather you come. Come. For as long as you can and have to get up while I'm still talking and interrupt the service, then feel bad about that and never come. So, love you guys. Have a good night. Um, what was I talking about? C.S. Lewis. Man. That guy. <laughs> He's awesome. Anyways. Screw tape letters, he theorizes that we're like patients and we all have demons assigned to us. I think that's probably how it works. So we all have demons assigned to us, let's assume that. Um, Demons know each other and they talk. So if they know your wound and they know you were severely rejected as a kid, so you get into junior high, what do they want to incite people to do? Make you feel really proud and be a prideful person? No, let's reject this person again and again and again. And let's get as many people in their life to do it again and again and again, over and over again. Why? So it's a—it's sh- not just a stronghold. It's a fortress of belief in your heart that nobody loves me. I suck. On and on and on. It gets reinforced. So your demons know each other. That's why the same type of thing keeps happening to you. That's their strategy because they know your wounds. Okay? So... Whew. Um yep. So, let's talk about a couple steps of inner healing. Um before when you when you're when you're talking to someone and you're like, "Hey, yeah, this is the issue. Let's pray through that. Just repent and renounce that." And they're just like, "I ain't doing that." <laughs> Hey, no big deal. See, you've got demonic issues because you were abused as a kid, so you just need to pray, renounce that and pray to forgive the person that did it. Let's go. <laughs> Ain't doing it. They might even get mad at you. Forgive them? No. Uh-uh. Okay. We Let's talk through this, right? And God can do inner healing through talking. It's very powerful. Um, so how, how does that happen? <laughs> And we're going to talk about some prayer strategies here at the end as well. But it can happen just through the the conversation as well. So steps of inner healing. Number one, validate their pain. Validate their pain. If this is where a lot of Christians who don't have compassion, they have strong exhortation gifts but not mercy or compassion gifts and that's let, just an excuse they're just not being like Jesus, they're being impatient, and we should all be merciful and compassionate, so they'll be like, repent, renounce, you just you just this is where faith shaming happens you just need to have more you're depressed still, just have more faith, just pray more about it faith shaming, which by the way makes things worse, makes people if they believe your theology, hate God now and cut them off from the only one who can help them, and so it's really bad so What did people in pain need? In a charismatic church like ours where we want to pray about anything and everything and we'll never stop praying and we'll always believe God will heal you, right? So what if they don't get healed? What if it gets worse? What if their loved one dies that they were praying for? Then what? Right? These are things we need to wrestle with. Uh, I'll tell you what. We don't faith shame them. We mourn with those who mourn. We validate their pain. We go, I don't know either. Maybe before you think it's their faith, maybe you should be willing to think, maybe it was my faith that the prayer didn't go through. But we can't do that. We steal our hearts against that because we're afraid we don't have enough faith, which pushes us to perform and pushes us to push them. That's performance. If you are the son of God, prove it. Do something. And I've said it before, when you're praying for people, if you feel like this fear of like, but if I don't command and say this, then I'm not going to have the no faith. This is going to happen. That's performance. You need to sit back and go, Father, show me. What are you doing here? And what, how can I participate with you? So... Validate their pain. Proverbs twenty-five twenty, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. If you're just like, have more faith, here, pray through it. Just repent, just renounce oh, that's the devil, just renounce it. It it doesn't work and it harms people. It makes them angrier. Why? Because they have a wound. That is like these wounds people have. It's like the knife is still in them. And it's like you, you just twist the knife a little bit, you know. It's like, oh, you just pull that knife out. That's it. They don't know how to do that. And it's not by just having more faith. That's not how it works. So, validate their pain. What does that look like? It's really simple. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry that happened to you. That never should have happened. Your dad, an authority figure in your life, should never treat you like that. Oh my goodness, they bullied you at school. That should never happen. There should have been teachers. I'm so sorry that happened to you. You need to say it. God did not want this to happen to you. God didn't cause this. This was the choice of an evil person. This was the choice of someone who just didn't know Jesus or know who they were or didn't understand. But it was not the Lord. I'm so sorry this happened to you. When you validate someone's pain, do you know what it's like? You grab that knife and you pull it out. And a whole lot of even deliverance ministers go trying to administer healing while there's still a knife in the wound. And so compassion, I'm so sorry that happened. Let me let me pull that out for you. Validating. Because some people are so defensive and they're so um, angry and they won't forgive them. Why? Because no one's ever validated to them that should never have happened. So their heart still rages for justice until someone can do that. Until someone up can go, God feels how you do about this. God is angry that this happened to you. Did you know that? How do I know that? John 11, where Jesus validates the pain of Mary and Martha because Lazarus died, and both of them say to him, If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Where were you, God? And what it, how does Jesus respond to that? He just weeps. He didn't go, "Well, it ain't no big deal. Just have some faith, and I'll go heal him." Gosh, it's not what he does. He doesn't shame them. He doesn't belittle like we do with our kids so often, parents. Don't minimize the pain. Don't minimize what someone's going through. He weeps with them, and it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled, and the word means angry. He was. Why was Jesus angry? This should never happen. This was not the plan from the beginning. This is the result of an evil one and sin, and I'm so angry that people have to go through this. He's angry about it. He's weeping. He validates their pain, and then he says, Show me where he is. (laughs) Show me where they put him. And so Jesus says to people, he wants us to say to people to validate their pain and then go show me. Show me the wound. Show me what's really at the heart of it. So validation is very important. And it can be very simple as saying those few words. And then number two, speak the truth very graciously with extreme tenderness. You need to speak the truth to these wounded places because there's lies they're believing. But man, the more the more severe the wound is, the more tenderly you need to be speaking the truth. Because speaking that truth is like you're putting the antiseptic now in the wound. You know? You pour the alcohol in to kill the bacteria to cleanse it, but man, that can sting, right? And so it's like, man, I'm so sorry that happened. That should never have happened. God, God is not happy that that happened. He didn't want that to happen. You pull that knife out, and it's like this thing's infected. We need to pray to forgive the person who did it. Oh, that can sting. That can sting. So be very tender, very tender, very gentle, but speak the truth. The truth might have to do with how they view themselves, right? You are loved. You said, I'm alone and nobody cares. Man, I'm so sorry this happened to you. Pull the knife out. That should never have happened. But let me tell you the truth. Jesus is with you. God loves you. You're not alone. You might even point out, you have these family members, you have your church family, you have, you're not alone. Those are lies. That's the enemy, okay? You're applying truth, okay? That's like the antiseptic. Do it very gently. And forgiveness is a huge one with with healing, inner healing. It's almost always part of it. And so you need to explain to people who struggle with forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean it was okay for them to do. You're not saying that by forgiving them. It doesn't mean you have to be friends with them or be in a relationship with them. It it means that you're letting them go from the consequences, and what you're really doing is you're trusting Jesus to bring justice to them. Okay? And Jesus promises in his word, if people do not repent, he will bring justice that would make you shudder. Right? Eternity. And so, can you trust Jesus to take care of this and release them? Okay? Okay? And that's usually very helpful to explain those things about forgiveness. And then, uh, which, unforgiveness is a sin. God says, if you don't forgive people, I won't forgive you. So, not forgiving people. God is a forgiver. He is gracious, so it's against the nature of God. It's not acting like God. It is a sin to not forgive someone. No matter how terrible the thing was. But people feel like if I forgive, I'm not getting justice. If I forgive, they'll keep doing it to other people. It's like, that's not what forgiveness is. You can report a child molester because they need to be reported and there needs to be justice and still forgive them. Do you understand what I'm saying? But do you see how messy these things are? (laughs) Okay. So... And then, at some point, after you've spoken truth, speaking grace. Proverbs says, "Speaking kind, gracious words brings healing to the bones, brings healing to the body." Even that's literal. This isn't metaphor; it's literal. Okay, so just speaking the truth of God, speaking kind, gracious, telling them how much God loves them, speaking the truth can bring inner healing in and of itself. But then, um, when you third thing I wrote down is is the prayer, the prayer aspect of inner healing, inner healing prayer. And there's many different types and strategies of inner healing prayer, but you're really inviting Holy Spirit to tend to these wounded places is really what it is. And that right there can have powerful effects that just speaking the truth will not do or cannot do. I won't say cannot because when you speak the truth, Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants, There's certain ways to pray with people for inner healing that, depending on the person, for the unique circumstance, can just bring dramatic, amazing types of things. A lot of inner healing prayer has to do with visualization. And the reason that is, the reason that's powerful, I should say, is all of our memories are stored as visuals, are stored visually. Um, and so when you invite Holy Spirit to give them a vision of, and some, uh, some inner healing uh, ministers will invite, let's invite Jesus into that traumatic memory. Let's ask Jesus to show you where he was and what he was doing in that memory, right? And the reason that's powerful is Holy Spirit a lot of times will do that. And it gives them a visual of God's heart on what happened to them. And it can bring healing to that trauma in ways that just saying that shouldn't have happened. God loves you just just won't ring true for some people. But when Holy Spirit gives them an experience uh, through their memory. Can literally bring healing to that place. And so that's one technique that some people use. Um, I'm not talking about and I do not advocate at all um believing that people have memory well your wound has to do with things that you can't remember so let's try to dig up or create memories you don't have we don't do that and I'm not advocating that at all I'm talking about if you have a traumatic memory that you know you remember you it's your memory let's invite Jesus into that um and i know that memory suppression is a thing and that is true that some people have things they don't remember that were horrific and and then through counseling they do remember them um but that's not the point of inner healing prayer and that's we don't do that and i don't i don't really advocate that um so anyways i don't want to get too much into that but um yeah and then people like terry wardle from healing care ministries um He has a a technique that he calls formational prayer or safe place prayer. And he'll often, and it's not just memories. It's just like, honestly, people learning to commune with Jesus. Um, But a lot of times it'll be in the context of inner healing. And the the basics of it is, you know, let's pray right now, invite Holy Spirit to to guide us, silence the voice of the enemy, sanctify our, our thoughts and all this stuff. Now, in your mind's eye, picture, use your imagination, picture going to a safe place with Jesus. And you kind of let people do this, and, and just seeing, you know, it could be a real place in your life, or it could just be somewhere imaginary that just he's going to give you something, right? So, uh, you know, they go somewhere in their mind, like, all right, where's Jesus? What's he doing? Ask Jesus to show himself to you. They go through that, um, and they describe what he's doing. Is he saying anything? What's he saying to you? You know, those types of things. They have an experience with Jesus um, through, through Holy Spirit, through prayer. Um, I've, I've experienced that before. I've had many times that the Lord met me in a powerful way through that type of what he calls formational prayer. Uh, he has books. Uh, Terry Wordle is his name. You can go read those and decide if that's something that you might find helpful. Um, yes so with that being said I just want to close and lead us through what I would call an inner healing experience through prayer and I felt the way I would like to do it is um, again this won't be addressing like your specific wound or a specific actually it may be actually I did feel led to go after spirit of rejection so maybe it actually will I guess if you have that, then we'll go after that. And this will probably profoundly help you and be a very good experience for you. Um, And this is a type of inner healing prayer, what we're about to do. Um, What the Lord was showing me to do tonight as I was praying into this um, is, and I was at a thing with Healing Care Ministries where they did something similar. So that's the Terry Wordles group that I just described where they, for example, it's like, I'm going to read Psalm 23. I'm going to read it three times. As I'm reading it, picture in your mind the scenario. Place yourself in the scenario. Where are you at? What's the Lord doing? What is the Lord doing as I read his word over you? Because the Lord is a shepherd, and these things are true, right? And 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 I've been through a few of these things where, as I'm just listening to the scripture in I have a vision of the Lord doing something, interacting with me. and It's just super powerful. And so that's kind of what I want to lead us to do. But I felt led to use Psalm 139. And so I'm going to read a lot of Psalm 139, but I'm going to do it in a specific way. And we're going to put some nice prayer music on. Um, and we're all going to close our eyes and we're going to pray first. And then I'm going to read Psalm 139, but here's what I'm going to do. It is true. Psalm 139 is true. It's David saying, oh, you, God, did this. You are this. So it's absolutely true because it's scripture, but it's written in third person. David saying about God. I felt led um, by the Holy Spirit to personalize it because it's true about God and to say it first person. So instead of David saying, you knit me together in my mother's womb, I knit you together in your mother's womb. That's what I'm saying. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it this way. Um, I'm going to pray first, and I'm actually going to speak some truth first. But I'm not just going to say it. I'm not going to be preaching anymore. I'm going to be speaking right to your heart. I'm going to be speaking right to some of your wounds when I say this. And when I say your heart, I'm not saying your mind. I'm not saying your body. I'm going to speak right to your heart, the subconscious part of you, the seat of all your emotions, where some of your wounds are. And I felt led to go after spirit of rejection. And so I want, if you were an unwanted child in this room, either your parents got pregnant too early or you were a whoops kid, you know. My oldest sister and myself were whoops children. <laughs> um, my parents weren't married when they got pregnant with her. And then I was the last. And... um They were not looking for more children, and my mom was on birth control when they got pregnant with me. And so she jokingly said to me growing up, you and me are the accidents. And and we were joking about, well, we know mom and dad love, you know, the middle tube more because we're the accidents. You know, that's – it was a joke, right? But if that was you, if that's true about you, if – or your parents literally didn't want you – or maybe they had you and you grew up there, but you knew they didn't want you <laughs> because of the way they treated you. This is going to... You, you probably have a wound that deals with rejection. You probably have a hard time feeling that God loves you personally. Um, and I want to administer some healing to that tonight. Um, everyone else, if you just have trouble feeling like God loves you, I want to speak to that tonight. And... I believe this is going to be awesome for everyone, but I really wanted to highlight those people. Okay. And so if you would just close your eyes right now, we're going to pray. (sighs) Holy spirit. We just invite you in right now to guide this time and that you, your presence would be so powerfully present in this room tonight and that you would take this exercise and this prayer, God, and, You would just administer it to the hearts of your people in a really, really powerful way. I pray that you would silence our flesh and every other voice and that you would bind the enemy from affecting this time. I pray for veils to be removed right now that are blocking people from receiving this. And I pray every heart in this room would open up like a flower to receive this truth. Before I read Psalm 139, or say it rather, I do want to establish some truth. You just keep your eyes closed and meditate on what I'm about to say and let it get deep deep down into your heart. Father God does not create anyone to go to hell. If you've ever been taught extreme Calvinism, that's not a good theology. In regard to election, if you ever start to question if you are one of the elect and therefore maybe you're predestined to go to hell and therefore God doesn't love you, or if you ever start to question God's character because you were taught at some point he predetermines who will go to heaven and because it's all his choice, that means he creates some people he knows will never choose, so he chooses for them to go to hell. Listen, that's not how it works, that's not what election means and that's not God's heart. 1 Timothy 2.4 says God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9 says God doesn't want anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. If If that doesn't apply to you and you're like, why are you saying this? Just let that pass right on through. But there's some people who are taught that theology and it They struggle believing, am I the elect, over and over and over. Maybe that's why I feel like God doesn't love me. And it's just a tactic of the enemy to mess with you. So God, everyone God creates, he wants to go to heaven. That is factually true from his word as I just read. (sighs) So don't believe a lie about God. Everyone God makes, he loves Deeply. That is what is true about him. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whosoever. Anyone. Everyone. Who believes in him. Will not perish but have everlasting life. So that means. God loves you personally. Psalm 139 says he knit you together in your mother's womb and his eyes saw your unformed body, meaning while you were still in the womb. Jesus said the father knows the number of hairs on your head, so he knows you better than yourself. He knows every single sparrow and not one falls to the ground apart from his will, yet you are worth more than many sparrows. So how much more does he know every person created in his image and how much more does one of us not fall without his awareness. He, and listen, he's acutely aware of your situation. Jesus died for everyone on the cross. That means you. Billy Graham once said, and I believe it's true, if you're the only person who ever lived, Jesus still would have went to the cross just for you. So, with that in mind, We're going to do this prayer. And if you've been deeply wounded, traumatized, abused, betrayed, not wanted as a child. Could be physical abuse, sexual abuse, infidelity, betrayal in marriage. I want you to know this. Jesus has seen your tears. And he grieves with you over your situation. He's angry at the injustice you've had to suffer. He didn't do that to you. And if the people who did it do not repent... He will hold them accountable for it. He loves you. He will bring good out of it. And he wants to heal you completely. He wants to heal your heart so that that awful thing that happened to you doesn't rule over the rest of your life. He wants to heal your heart. And so just say this prayer with me, if you would, before we start. Say, Jesus... Sanctify my imagination. Silence my flesh and every other voice. And show me today, in this prayer time, how you personally love me. I open my heart to receive your love today. All right, now I'm going to pray for you. and. You've asked him to show you. So I believe as I read through this and I speak through this, I definitely listen to the words, tune in, and just, just receive them. But I believe the Lord's going to give some of you a powerful imagery in your heart and in your mind of how he feels about you as we read through this. And I do want you to know if you were an unwanted child, God knits every person together in the womb. So there's no such thing as an accident to him. And God says you were not an accident. You were a surprise. (laughs) And you were a surprise to the people who conceived you. And he loves you. He chose for you to exist. Even if parents didn't choose it. There's no such thing as illegitimate children. There is such thing as illegitimate parents because they weren't expecting it. But God chose you to exist. And he knit you together. So you weren't an accident. You're a surprise. That's the truth. So now close your eyes. And just. If you want to imagine yourself in a safe place with Jesus. You can do that. And just let the Lord show you what he wants to show you. And in fact I do want to say this before we go through this. If you would, think of it this way. Just right now, in your mind's eye, go all the way back to the mother's womb. Just imagine yourself in the womb right now. And think about this. Jesus took those two initial cells. And he is the one that put them together and caused you to be. Jesus did that. The Father God was knitting you together. And with that in mind, I'm going to read Psalm 139 in a first-person perspective over you. So Holy Spirit, come. I have searched you, and I know you. I know when you sit and when you rise. I know your thoughts from afar. I discern when you go out and when you lay down. I'm familiar with all your ways, your habits, everything you do. Before you go to speak even one word, I know every sentence, the whole conversation, everything you're going to say completely. I hem you in behind and before. I'm always protecting your back and going before you to protect your future. And I always have my hand upon you to guide your life. You cannot imagine. How much I know you and am with you. There's nowhere you can go to get away from my spirit. Nowhere you can run or hide from my presence. If you go up to the heavens, I'm there. If you made your bed in the depths, I would be there. If you rose on the wings of the dawn, the furthest horizon, or settled on the far side of the sea, Even there, my hand would guide you. My right hand would hold you safely. If you said, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness is not dark to me. The night shines like the day. For those dark times and struggles are not dark or difficult to me. I created your inmost being, your personality, who you really are. I knit you together in your mother's womb. If you saw yourself how I do, you would be praising me because you are so awesomely and wonderfully made. All my artistic creation works are amazing. You know that full well. Well, you're one of them. Your frame was not hidden from me when I made you in that secret place inside of your mother. When I wove you together, cell upon cell, part upon part in the unseen place, my eyes saw your unformed body even right after conception before you even started to look how you do now. And even from that moment, guess what? All the days ordained for you were written in my book before one of them came to be. I love to think about you. And I do it so much, the sum of my thoughts is enormous. You can't imagine how much I think about you. In fact, if you were to count all the thoughts I have towards you, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When you're asleep, not even aware, I'm watching over you and thinking of you. But when you awake, there I am, still with you. I have searched you and know your heart. I know every single anxious thought you have. I bring up what's not good in you so I can set you free from it. And I always lead you in the way so you can be with me forever. Holy Spirit, I just pray you come right now and administer your healing to the hearts of your people, God. I pray that you would heal the orphan hearts in the room. I pray you would heal the orphan spirits in the room and the orphan mindsets in the room. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I break off any demonic spirits of unwantedness, rejection, the orphan spirit. Being unloved, being unwanted, I break that off and I command any demonic spirit associated with these things to leave these people now. In Jesus' mighty name. Father, I pray you would bestow your belovedness on your people tonight at the deep heart level. And I want to close with this. uh, Have you do this uh, declaration tonight. Declarative prayer. As we close and if you're a, a woman just say the word daughter. If you're a man say the word son. But I wrote this in my journal this past week and I've been saying it over myself to start my prayer times. It's it's just a great reminder. And when you declare, declarations are powerful because they bring your heart, that subconscious feeling part of you, into alignment with truth, to believe God and not believe those lies or those wounds, okay? And I'm just going to lead you in this declaration of the belovedness of Jesus at his baptism, that this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And if you're a believer here tonight, you can receive that. There's no condemnation in Christ. So God loves you, and he's pleased with you right here tonight, right where you're at, for where you're at. So just say this first person with me. Repeat after me. Men use son. Women use daughter. Say this, I am God's son. He loves me. (laughs) And he's pleased with me. Let's try that one more time. (laughs) I am God's son. (laughs) He loves me. And he is pleased with me. Let's just do it one more time. I am God's son. He loves me. And he is pleased with me. Amen.